my fellow free love self and thinkers, thank you for tuning in to podcast. My name is Craig, transmitting from the beautiful realms of planet Earth. Today's date is Wednesday, August 10th, 2022. This is episode 1552, if I'm correct. Yes, it is. Murder of Aman al-Zarari, unvaccinated question revisited, and income taxes origin. Before I proceed, you can follow me on social multiple multiple social media sites and podcast channels. Just type in Lucky Luck number three, Lucky Luck Roman number three, which represents three eyes, and Lucky Luck Roman number three podcast. Furthermore, if you want to contact me, go to Lucky Luck number zero three at protimemail.com. If you want to donate, go to cash.app and or paypal.me forward slash Lucky Luck number three. I always get those. Flip those around now and then. <laughs> well, that's okay. Yeah, so I'm just roaming around outside. Beautiful day. Hopefully everyone's uh, safe out there, regardless where you're at. Worldwide. A lot of insanity. Everyone's talking about the raid. Uh, Trump being FBI raided his place. Some people were critical about the governor and... and um, and the sheriff, but um, one thing I gotta say, usually the sheriff should be doing that job. However, Sheriff Bradshaw from Palm Beach County has comfort Jeffrey Epstein when he was serving time for that plea bargain for that month. And gave him him a little lap of luxury behind bars. That's okay, but you know how that goes. He wouldn't say, oh yeah, so he would just sit there and Want to see, want to see him yeah, be gunned down, symbolically speaking. Oh, nothing more than a political witch hunt. He talking to a person, not even a sacrifice of uh, Donald J. Trump. However, he, my view, he became one of the greatest, probably the greatest scapegoat in presidential history. Maybe political. All these illegal, pathetic, these uh, pathetic impeachments, which is totally unconstitutional. Bill of Attainer. People still try to defend those idiots that um, say, oh yeah, they did the right thing. Come on. And it was funny because they call him the fascist, the Nazi, the white supremacist, but all the douchebags that are in the House in Congress are the wicked ones. A very good game of projection, right? So I know people out there yesterday were um, protesting near the, near, in Palm Beach. Because they go across the go across the river. There's a, call, a town called Palm Beach. That's where uh, Mar-a-Lago is at. So um, it's just wow. Looks like these individuals are really desperate. And what has done? They actually um, unify more people than ever before. What's really about uh, partisan politics is getting very sloppy, for, even both from both sides. Got the dinos on one end, Democrats in name only, and you got the rhinos on the other end, Republican in name only. If you're in these parties, I suggest you go focus on the Freedom of Liberty Caucuses. Democrats have that their edition of the of the Freedom Caucus, and the Republicans have the Liberty Caucus. I suggest folks from either side. Go in those areas. Screw the status quo, score quo, and the tyranny and the propaganda machine. One world order platforms. And I'm not a big fan of politics, I admit it. But at least those caucus, those particular caucuses I've uh, aforementioned, is good to know. If you have our disagreements, we have to see things in the bigger picture. So I encourage everyone to go in those particular entities. And um, take it from there. If you're pro Bill of Rights, pro Liberty, those are your avenues. Even third parties have their different views too. They're uh, libertarians and etc. We're seeing 1828, 1830, to 1860 revisited right now. Nullification is we're going rampant. Anti-commandeering doctrine. That's just how it is. And it's good. Because um, we didn't have any civil war, thank God. But it looks like they're trying to push for it. They want to gaslight it. And like I said, he is not my Lord and Savior. 
he made his mistakes. And I was very critical on some of his actions. I always tell people, if you're gonna be if you're gonna criticize, have merit, don't be a parrot. With no exceptions. Have your facts, back it up. I do it all the time, best I can. I don't just go by lip service. Try to analyze everything, do my homework. I was chatting with a couple on this and um it was nice. They're very uh, pleased by how, how I present things. And um, everyone else to take that initiative and do the same. These big techs want to censor you. There's other avenues. It's okay to u- utilize the enemy's tools. There's a will and a way to get your information out there. Always um, think it's the art of war when it comes to the information uh, conflict. But um, finding time to be alive. So I find this not out of anger but a lot more inspiring that's the way it should be counter do it productively send that message out that's what they hate the most now he said this in the past the more you know about your rights the more you exercise it the less you fear they want us to be suppressive submissive enslaved have our symbolic shackles and chains on us and go yes master may have another we're the masters, they are not. The banks can do whatever they want, but they're being exposed too. Emperor is wearing no clothes. And right now, since what happened past couple days, <laughs> now they have nothing to hide. Even they can't um, cover a leaf in their crotch area. <laughs> well, all I gotta say, let the games begin, my friends. Be vigilant, take actions, a quiet riot. What Martin Luther King said, even though I'm not a lot of controversy with him, with all due respect, what doesn't mean all his information was bad. Observe responsibly. So, um, all right, I did my little rant on the matter. And here's another thing, too, like I want to bring up. I was looking at some of the video footage of that case with Alex Jones. And some people call him the effing scumbag, this and that, and they go, and I'll tell you this. Doesn't matter, I'm no apologist for this man. He made his errors. I can say that. There's days I want to smack the living crap out of him. That's out of, fide- out of fidelity. When, they're, when they're, they're, gunning, they're gunning for people like him, a long time. And we always, um, we always told folks, been saying it for the past 12, 13, 15, probably 15 years, they're gunning for people. That's what the information war is about, and the, and the war on terror is their 24-7 excuse. All right, so um, if you don't support him, if you don't support his liberties, yours can be next. Thomas Paine warned us about this, and made it, you know, consistently, so I've been saying that. All right, enough of my digression. <laughs> I'm going to do a, narrate a few stories here, which is very, very cool. This one came out today from the Future of Freedom Foundation. Jacob G. Hornberger, or Hornberger, who was the presidential candidate in 2020. And uh, this one's entitled The U.S. Murder of Amin. Al Zarari. And let's, let's see what Mr. Hornberg has to say about this. While the U.S. officials and their acolytes in the mainstream press have described the U.S. National Security Establishment's recent assassination of Ayman Al Zarari as a great victory for President Biden and the U.S. global war on terror, it is important to keep in mind that the assassination was just plain murder on part of, the, of America's federal killing machine. Federal officials and their mainstream press have justified Alzari's chilling on two grounds. One, claiming that Alzari participated in 9-11 attacks, and two, by claiming that the killing was simply part of the, their global war on terror. Both justifications, however, are nothing more than rationalizations of state-sponsored murder on the part of the U.S. national security establishment. Let's keep in mind something important. Terrorism is not an act of war. It is a federal crime. That includes the 9-11 attacks. As an attack of terrorism, the 9-11 attacks were federal criminal offenses. Some, some may disagree, like the late great Aaron Zelma called an act of war. 
the J, federal, the JPFO. So I'll proceed. Consider all federal prosecutions for terrorism that have been have taken place in the U.S. District Courts in New York, Virginia, Washington D.C., and elsewhere for many years. There is a simple reason for those prosecutions. Terrorism is a federal criminal offense. If it were an act of war, there would never have been those criminal prosecutions. Instead, there would have simply been prisoner of war camps like in regular wars. In regular wars, no soldier is criminally prosecuted for murder, for killing an enemy soldier. That's because in war, soldiers are legally entitled to kill the enemy. In, the in 1993, terrorists set off a bomb in the World Trade Center. The bombing didn't bring down the towers, but it did kill and injure multiple, multitude of people. Multitude of people. It was no different in principle from the later attacks on 9-11. When Ramzi Yosef, one of the people who committed the 1993 attack, was later taken into custody, he was not placed in a prisoner of war camp. Instead, he was prosecuted in federal district court. Again, that's because terrorism is a federal criminal offense, not an act of war. Because the magnitude of the death and damage was so much greater with the 9-11 attacks, the Pentagon and the CIA succeeded in perverting and warping America's founding judicial system. After those attacks, they established a torture and prison camp in Cuba. Why Cuba? They aimed to establish a constitution-free zone where they could bring any suspected terrorist in the world and do whatever they wanted him, wanted to him, without any judicial interference whatsoever. That included such as torture, definite detention, and extrajudicial execution. Supreme Court declared that it had jurisdiction over the Cuba over the Cuba Center, but then in an act of extreme passivity permitted the Pentagon and the CIA to establish a dual judicial system. One that would operate alongside the federal judicial system. The Pentagon and CIA would have the omni omnipotent authority to decide whether to send terrorism suspects through the federal system or through their kangaroo military tribunal system. The Gitmo system has already been flagrantly unconstitutional, but the federal judiciary has always been deferential to the Pentagon and CIA. That's why there are still prisons in Gitmo who have been incarcerated and tortured for decades without even the semblance of a trial in flagrant violation of the right to a speedy trial guaranteed by the Bill of Rights and the right not to be subjected to cruel and unusual punishments. See, when you let these things go, the Gitmo, the president, you create a president, and now look what happened at J6, and other political prisons too, such as Schaefer Cox, etc. So I'll just give you those examples. Long term, that's why you don't ever fall for the hype, my friends. I'll proceed. After the 9-11 tax, the National Security Establishment also claimed that it had the authority to assassinate anyone it considered to be a terrorist. As I document in my book, an encounter with evil, the Abraham Zapruder story, this power of assassination came into existence long before the 9-11 attacks, but by, 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 by and large, it was kept under wraps and not publicized widely by the CIA and the Pentagon. Not so after 9-11, however, at that point, assassination became a well-established, widely publicized power of the CIA and the Pentagon. From that point on, they didn't have to bring suspected terrorists to justice, either in the federal court system or the tribunal system at Gitmo. They could just kill suspected terrorists on site. That included citizen, judge, jury, executioner. Okay. There was always one great big legal problem, however. Their program of state-sponsored assassination, the Constitution, which does not delegate a power of assassination, Excuse me, to federal officials, but also through the Fifth Amendment, expressly prohibit the federal taking of life without due process of law, i.e., without formal notice in the trial. The Constitution, however, proved to be no obstacle to state sponsored assassination simply because the Supreme Court and the federal judiciary played their standard differential and passive role by upholding this omnipotent, totalitarian, dark side power. Remember, folks, the, the, the Supreme Court gives you only opinions, not law. It was worth mentioning that there is no indication that al-Zarari was participating in, in any anti-American terrorist operation at the time of his assassination. His killing appears to be nothing more than but an extrajudicial act of deadly vengeance in retaliation for the 9-11 attacks more than 20 years ago. 
it was worth mentioning that Al Zahari was never convicted of participating in the 9 11 attacks. Indeed, as U.S. officials have slowly and reluctantly released their highly secret stash of evidence regarding 9 11 over the years, the um, great weight and preponderance of that evidence seemed to point to the murderous regime of Saudi Arabia as an orchestrator of the 9 11 attacks. Of course, the Pentagon and the CIA would have every incentive, incentive to protect the murderous Saudi regime given that it provides much of the oil that funds their massive worldwide military machine. Our American ancestors brought into existence the greatest judicial system in history. It was a system that admittedly permits some guilty people to go free, but with the aim of ensuring that innocent people never get punished, killed, tortured, or abused. That system worked for some 150 years. Unfortunately, the Pentagon and CIA have destroyed it, as we have the most recently seen with the extrajudicial murder of accused terrorist Ayman Al-Azari. That was a good um, viewpoint on um, this ordeal. And I have to give Hornberger some agreeing in those certain areas. The war on terror has been a conflict with, against its people, whether it's foreign or domestic. We're seeing it right now. This is why vigilance has always been the key, my friends. I can't just sit around and say, I've got nothing to hide, I'm going to trust the government. That's the biggest mistake you make. If you trust this particular institution, then you failed history, and you, and you just devalue citizenship. You become null and void. And, they try, and the funny thing about it, they try to, make, they try to use this a report to make Biden look good. Because right now, his approval ratings are plumbing hell in the handbasket. That's why I call him. That's why I call him the pri first privileged president in U.S. history. Good grief! Where the, where the, where the everyone, where the everyone's using that term "white privilege"? Yeah, well, you got Joe Biden, not anymore. <laughs> I tell you one thing: the, the opposition, those hurt conform activists, they hate when I make those statements. <laughs> they, they get, their jaws drop. Trust me. Like, How's it feel having the first white privileged president in U.S. history? Man, who was a habitual offender. Who was, who was a, who was for over for half a century inconsistent? He's, he's a consistent failure. Excuse me. On his oath of office, that is the terrorist. One of them, far as I'm concerned. But he's more of a patsy as well, because I've been saying this for a good period of time. The man is incognitive. He had health issues, which I don't wish any ill will on him or anyone. But. His actions as a career politician is repugnant, egregious, and unacceptable. He's just one example. And now everyone's realizing that even people from the Democratic Party, registered voters, are pretty damn pissed off, and I don't blame them one bit. It's why, in the very beginning of my rant, I encourage folks to hit the, hit those, to hit the, hit the Democratic um, Freedom Caucus and Republicans uh, Liberty Caucus, if you're registered voters in those two parties. We need more like-minded people involved instead of the status quo, the, tar the tyrants, because they're, they're from all sides. And what happened here, it was dead wrong. And I have to agree with them. There's no such thing as exceptionalism. And some people may, may defend the president, like it happened with Obama, a drone man himself. And I said, null and void, unmerited defense. You treat this the same way. All right, so we're going to hit this other one here. And this one came from CJ Hopkins, Substack.com. And I know off-guardian.org um, shared it as well. So expect those, expect it. But the footnotes are very similar. It, it came out on August 6th, by the way. This is what Mr. CJ Hopkins has to say. The unvaccinated question, revisit it. As it reads here, on 1st September 1941, Chief of Reich Security Reinhard Heydrich, Heydrich, one of the most fanatical mass-murdering Nazis, issued a now notorious decree ordering Jews above the age of six to wear an identifying badge in public. The Jewish badge, the yellow star of David, with the word Jew inscribed inside the star, was meant to stigmatize and humiliate the Jews and was also used to segregate them and monitor and control their movements. 
Nothing like this is happening currently, especially not in New Normal Germany. What's happening currently in New Normal Germany is the fascist fanatics in control of the government are rewriting the Infection Protection Act again, as they have been doing repeatedly for the last two years. In order to allow themselves to continue to violate the German Constitution or the Grundgesetz, Grundges the rule of the nation by arbitrary decree under the guise of public protecting their public protecting the public health. It's been revisit revised Infection Protection Act, which has granted the government of New Normal Germany the authority to order lockdowns, curfews, and outline a protest against the New Normal. The mandatory of wearing medical-looking okay. masks, the segregation of prosecution of the unvaccinated, right. is of course no way remotely comparable to the Enabling Act of 1933, which grants government of Nazi Germany to the authority to issue whatever decrees it wanted to under the guise of remedying the distress of the people. There is absolutely no similarity whatsoever between these two pieces of legislation. I mean, look at this autumn winter plan for the revision of the Infection Protection Act, which will remain in effect from October until Easter, in which government officials and state propagandists, aka the German media, are likening to snow chain ordinances. There's absolutely nothing creepily fascistic or remotely Nazi about this plan. Sorry, it's in German. Allow me to translate. On the planes and trains at the airports and train stations, everyone will be forced to wear doggy snout masks, i.e. FFP2, filtering face pieces, as it defined by the EN149 standard, except for the staff of the airports and train stations and the flight attendants, conductors, etc., who will only be forced to wear medical-looking masks in hospitals, clinics, doctors, offices, nursing homes, and other health care facilities. Everyone, including the staff, will, only, will not only be forced to wear the dog snout mask, but they will also be forced to submit testing unless they can provide proof of vaccination or recovery, which also means being tested within the previous three-month period. On the premises of private companies, i.e. offices, factories, warehouses, and so on, the previously rescinded Abeschutzvernendung, or corona, the Corona Occupational Safety Ordinance, mask test, forced vaccination, social distancing, plastic barriers, etc., will go back into effect in October and remain in effect until the Easter holidays. The individual federal states will be empowered to impose other census restrictions like general mask mandates in shops, restaurants, and every other type of interior spaces. Limits on the number of people who can gather the publicity or in their homes and mandatory masks for kids in schools and testing in kindergartens and daycare facilities in restaurants, bars, theaters, museums, sports facilities, and pretty much else everywhere else in society. The federal state can demand that people show proof of recent vaccination or recover to be exempt from, from having to wear a mask. Allow me to translate again. What that last part means is that everyone who refused to submit to, re to repeated vaccination or testing will be forced to wear a mask in public to identify themselves as unvaccinated, i.e. new normal rights official untermission. So it's okay, maybe it's a little creepily fascistic as not as non-Nazis I suggest above. I put it this way in a recent tweet. Needless to say, this could get confusing as the new normals are extremely attached to their masks, which they've been wearing. Like Nazis wore swastika label pins to publicly signal their solidarity, i.e. mindless conformity to the new official ideology. For going on the last two and a half years, and now the mask will function like the Jewish badges with the Star of David that the Nazis forced, to, forced the Jews to wear, except on public transportation, except on public transportation and planes tra and trains, unless the federal states decide to force everyone to wear a mask everywhere, in which case, well, you get the general idea. Still, the fact that everyone will have to present their vaccination papers or their recovery papers to enter a restaurant or a bar or go to a cinema or a theater and basically to do anything else in society should make up 
the mass confusion. I mean, what kind of fascist society would it be if you didn't have to show your papers to some BDI goon to get a cup of coffee, right? Now, before you report me to the BFD, i.e. the Germ Germany's Federal Domestic Intelligence Agency for revitalizing the Holocaust and delegitimizing the democratic state, both of which are crimes here in Germany. I want to say again, for the record, that I do not advocate using the Yellow Star of David to protest the new normal. As in the photo and the tweet above, I think it's foolish and counterproductive. The new normal has nothing to do with the Holocaust or the Jews or even Nazism per se. But let's be clear about what's happening in Germany. What is happening, a new official ideology is being imposed on society. It's being imposed on society by force. And now those of us who refuse to conform to will be ordered to walk around in public wearing invisible symbols of our nonconformity. But sorry, but the parallels are, undeni are undeniable. This new official ideology has nothing to do with the respiratory virus or any other public health threat. This is a point. This, at this point, I do not have to repeat this argument. The majority of countries around the world have finally rescinded their emergency measures and acknowledged the fact that we, conspiracy theorists, have been citing for the past two and a half years and that we have been relentlessly demonized and censored for citing. Not even in Germany, the recent independent evaluation of its corona measures can produce any evidence supporting their effectiveness. Seriously, the new normal Germany authorities are basing their claim for the efficacy of mask mandates on the Golden Syrian Hampshire model. You probably think I'm joking, but I'm not. And Carl Lartenbart, the fanatical Minister of Health, has openly stated that forcing the unvaccinated to wear a mask in the public is a motiv motivation tactic to harass them into following orders and submitting to a vaccination that even the German government now admits has killed or seriously injured tens of thousands of people at minimum in Germany. No, this, is, this new official ideology, the new normal, which is still very much in effect in places like Germany, Canada, Germany, China, Canada, Australia, New York, California, etc. is nakedly, undeniably pure ideological. It is based not on facts, but belief. It is a belief system as if every other ideology is essentially no different than an official religion, which one demonizes and persecutes all other religions and non-religions all other belief systems. According to this new official belief system, those of us who maintain different beliefs and refuse to convert to the um, official beliefs and or pretend to convert the new official beliefs are dangerous foreign elements in society. And thus, from now on, the new, in the new normal Germany, will be focused to where visible symbols of our different beliefs are otherness in public so that the authorities and, and the good German masses were able to identify us. Is this is any of this sounding vaguely familiar? I'm I'm fairly certain that someone will read this and see the tweets included above and report me for revitalizing the Holocaust. For the for the record, I am not revitalizing the Holocaust. I'm comparing one totalitarian system to another. Yes, Nazi Germany and New Normal Germany are two very different totalitarian systems. Have out, I, have, I have outlined their essential differences and similarities, but come on, this is not a fucking, this is not that fucking hard. In, in Nazi Germany, the Jews were the scapegoats. The new, the new normal Germany is the unvaccinated. How much more blatantly does it have to get before people stop pretending that this isn't what it is? Do the authorities have to literally put us in camps? How many more people have to die or be seriously injured by vaccinations? They did not need, but were forced to submit to. I'm not talking to the new normals now, nor the people who have been fighting this all along. I'm talking to the people who see it, what is happening, and are horrified by what is happening, but for whatever reasons, have refused to speak out. And yes, I know there are very good reasons. Some of you have families to support and careers to protect, and seriously, I get it. But how far does it have to go? At this point, do you feel 
you have to speak out regardless of the personal and professional consequences, maybe take some time and mediate on that. Oh, here's a little visual aid that might help folks with their med um, med uh, meditations. Meditate, uh, meditate, excuse me, meditation. As, as, as some graffiti that someone painted on the wall of a courtyard here in the new normal Germany in the autumn of 2021. I think I posted back then, but it didn't make much of an impression. Perhaps it will make one now. I'll translate. It reads, the gas, gas the unvaccinated. Well, if you study the history of genocide, democide, holocausts around the world, especially mainly in the 20th century, people got were rich on it, scapegoated on their views, for who they are, and so forth. You've seen this happening again, this form of totalitarianism. Jim Crow, medical Jim Crow, medical apartheid. That's why the Mera song, I'm not gonna play in Sun City, the same musicians who sang that song just flipped and support totalitarianism. It shows them how much hypocrisy they thrive on, not more than convenient hacks. That's why I don't really listen to these idiots anyway. On their, on their rhetoric and their music. Because they're not that impressive as far as I'm concerned. And you can say this. During that time, 170 million people were slaughtered by, gar by the tyrannical governments on genocide. And democide is like 272 million. That's a lot of people. That's the 20th century alone. Death by government by R.J. Rummel explains it to the best of his ability. Be vigilant on your health, of course. Everyone needs to rise up and call these tyrants out. They're doing a war against their own people. That's called treason. According to the Minister of Health in Germany, they need to be indicted, tried, and penalized after due process of law. I've been the victim of that myself, medical Jim Crow. But I keep thriving. I get inspired. I know there's people out there that have, like I said, they have, they have different lifestyles, which is okay. I'm not here to condemn them. But what happened in Germany needs to be terminated and go to a total ripple effect around the world. Remember, without you guys, those scumbags are nothing. They need you more than you need them. All right, well, I'm going to be right back, so stay tuned. All right, I'm going to do one more here. And this came out yesterday, by the way, written by Adam Young from Mises.org. The origin of the income tax. It's a little bit lengthy, so kick back, relax, have your coffee, your water, your scotch, your beer, etc. don't matter. Or popcorn. And just educate yourselves, which I'm doing it over here. All right, as it reads, the freedom won by America in 1776 were lost in the Revolution of 1913, wrote Frank Chodorov. Indeed, a man's home used to be his castle. The income tax, however, gave the government the keys to every door and the sole right to change the locks. Today, the American people are no longer the master and the government have ceased to be the servant. How could this be? The revolution fought in the name of inherited natural rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness promised to enthrone the gains of individualism. Instead of federal taxation, bribes the states and individuals to serve the interests of the ever greater submission to the centralized will. How did tax slavery come to the land of the free? This happened in 1812. The first proposal to impose an income tax in America occurred during the War of 1812. After two years of war, the federal government had accumulated and then a staggering $100 million of debt to, debt to fund the war against Britain. The government doubled the rates of its major source of revenue, custom duties on imports, which obstructed trade and ended up yielding less revenue than the previous lower rates. At the height of the war, excise taxes were imposed on goods and commodities, and housing, slaves, and land were taxed. 
After the war ended in 1816, these taxes were repealed and instead of high tariff were passed to retire the accumulated war debt. Thankfully, the notion of an income tax member income tax was defeated. However, the malevolent spirit of the income tax reappeared as a measure to fund the Union armies in the war to prevent secession of the Confederacy. The war's expense of costing an average of $1,750,000 a day struggled to meet this expenditure. The Republican Congress borrowed heavily double tariff rates. The moral tariff initially provoked the Deep South to secede. Sold off public lands, imposed a maze of license, licensing fees, increased old excise tax rates, and created new excise ta tax rates, but none of this was enough. Interesting about reading for secession. Okay, so something to think about there. 1861. In July 1861, the Congress has passed a 3% tax on all net of income. Above $600 a year, about $10,000 today. However, no revenue was ever raised because a second tax passed before the first due on June 30th, 1862. The war demands on resources made the earlier tax ineffective and the sale of bonds could not keep up with the expenditures of the administration and the armies. In March, the Congress passed an income tax of 3% annual incomes of $600 to $10,000 and on 5% incomes from $10,000 to $50,000 and threw in a small inheritance tax too. Lincoln signed the bill on eight, July 1st, 1862 to take a, effect a month later. The Union debt then stood at $505 million. This tax also included the first appearance of withholding and was applied to federal salaries and on interest and dividends. Remember that old saying, taxing the rich? That's right. To all you Laconian worshipers out there, Abe, honest Abe, tax the rich. Supported it. <laughs> That's an old saying. Something to think about, right? To all you Laconian disciples out there. I'll continue. In 1863, then passed a special 5% tax on income of about $600 to pay for an army recruitment program that will pay men $2 per recruit and pay recruits their first month's pay in advance. In uh, mid-1864, their rates were raised again. The 3% tax on incomes above $600 was increased to 5%. A new 7.5% rate was introduced on incomes over $5,000, and the old rate of 5% of the incomes above $10,000 was raised to 10%. The tax on interest and dividends were, was also raised from 3 to 5%. And for the first time, with the changes, Americans know, had, uh, now had to, to swear the veracity of their tax returns, and government assessors will, could now challenge a return. The penalty for not filing a tax return was like double from 10% to 10%. At first, the income tax raised comparatively little revenue in um, relation to the war's demand for it. Harvesting only $2.7 million in 1862-1863, by the next year, the tax pulled in $20.2 million, and believing that many large income earners have eluding the tax man. Congress raised the rate on incomes over $5,000 to 10%, and gave assessors the power to estimate income and increase the penalties for non-compliance. And, for and from fines to 25% to double that for filing fraudulent returns. By 1866, 30% of federal revenues derived from the income tax totaling $73 million and derived primarily from just three states, New York, Pennsylvania, and Massachusetts. Interesting. <laughs> in, uh, in a move to increase compliance and the veracity, veracity of returns, the government even made tax returns available to the press. This practice was outlawed in 1870. The Confederacy also experimented with a progressive income tax, eventually imposing a tax in kind that further destroyed the already ruptured and blockaded economy of the South. 1865, after the war ended, the income tax continued to pay on to the government's gigantic debt, but resistance was building. In 1867, the progressive rates were replaced with a flat tax of 5% and all incomes above $1,000 a year. However, the penalty for failure to file was raised to 50% and the payment debt was moved from June 30th 
to April 30th. This income tax expired in 1870 and was replaced with a 2.5% tax on incomes above $2,000. Finally, when that law was expired in 1872, the United States was again without an income tax. A little practice, conditioning, and so forth. People did the hype on the flat tax. They did it in the 1860s, folks. Ooh, man, something to really look at, right? In the post years, a booming economy that produced tariff surpluses for decades, but this didn't deter many attempts to reintroduce an income tax with the members of Congress. Introducing 68 bills to do so between 1874 to 1894. 1894, amid panic of 1893, an amendment was passed establishing a 2% tax on all incomes above $4,000 a year, about $50,000 today, but exempted the salaries of state, local officials, federal judges, and president. Yes, liberty for me, but none for thee. <laughs> Democratic Senator David Hill of New York laminated. Laminate. It may be impracticable that our deceitfully American experiment of individual freedom should, should go on. President Cleveland opposed the income tax, but let it become law without his signature, believing it would be unconstitutional. In 1895, the Supreme Court ruled five to four against the income tax, saying that its provisions amounted to direct tax, which prohibited by the U.S. Constitution. Article 1, Sections 8 and 9 declare that direct taxes must be apportioned amongst the states, according to the census. The 16th Amendment was designed to get around this problem. And I remember, too, around, eight, around the 16th Amendment, it wasn't really three-quarter approved by the states. All you got to do is read the Constitution, folks. It makes you consider an illegal amendment. 1895 to 1809. Aside from an attempt to float an income tax to pay for the Spanish-American War, the income tax was largely disappeared as a major issue. Nonetheless, the Democratic Party turning its back on its Jeffersonian heritage endorsed a constitutional income tax amendment in their party platform of 1869 to 1908. In 1908, Theodore Roosevelt endorsed both an income tax and an inherited tax, become the first president of the United States to openly propose that the political power of government be used to redistribute wealth. Can we say socialism? <laughs> yeah, tell think about that, folks. Socialism, redistribution of wealth. Meanwhile, factions Within the Congress cobbled together a compromise amendment in 1909. President Taft noted to be favorable to an income tax, if not necessarily an amendment that stated that although ratification may be difficult, it had become convinced that a great majority of the people of this country are in favor of the vesting national government with the power to levy an income tax. That same year, an income tax amendment passed overwhelmingly in Congress and was sent off to the states. The last state ratified the amendment on February 13th 1913, Springfield Republican reported the 16th Amendment owed its ex existence mainly to the West and the South, where individual incomes of $5,000 or over are competitively few. 1913, Richard E. Byrd, Speaker of the Virginia House of Delegates, predicted a hand of Washington, a hand from Washington will be stretched out and placed upon every man's business. Heavy fines imposed by distant, unfamiliar tribunals will constantly menace that taxpayer. An army of federal officials, spies, and direct detectives will descend upon the state. Pandora had opened the box. The presidential election of 1912 was contested between three advocates of income tax. The winner, Woodrow Wilson, after the ratification of the 16th Amendment, called a special session of Congress in April 1913, which proceeded to pass an income tax of 1% on incomes above $3,000 and applied surcharges of 2 to 7% on income from $20,000 to $500,000. A few years later, the Supreme Court kissed and blessed progressivity. Yep, taxing the rich. The income tax returned as a product of an unholy combine between status intellectuals with visions of a state-sponsored utopias, envious demagogues, and the desire by established wealthy interests to prevent any competition to their place and to offload business costs to an expanding regulatory welfare state. At the first, at first, revenue raised by a new income tax was disappointing, only $28 million in 1914, but then it accelerated $41 million the next year when the stop, top rate was, near, was 7% and nearly $68 million in 1916 when it was raised to 15%. Eventually, more than $1 billion 
will be pulled in by the income tax during the whole whole of World War One, when rates were raised 67% in 1917 and 77% in 1918, and make the hated tax permanent feature has become today. After the war, the top rate fall 273% in the 1920s, it fell uh, to a low 24%, but in 1929, but never again got a low as pre-war rate of 7%. What would Americans do for a 7% rate? Today one wonders. Who when the Republicans raised the t rates to 25% in 1930, then in 1960, then in 63% in 1932. Hey, remember, stepping stones the Great Depression, right? Under the corporate statism of the New Deal, rates leaped to 79% in 1936, 81% in 1940, finally exhausted itself 94% in 1994 to 1945. Lowest rates show the same appetite advancing from a 1% rate on income below $20,000 in 1915. In 1970, it became 2% up to $2,000 and 6% up to $4,000. By 1941, the lowest rate was 10% on incomes below $2,000. In 1945, this has jumped to 23%. Today is 10% of annual income to $7,000, 15% on income below $28,000. All the, all the top 10% of all income earners pay 60% of all tax revenue and the top half pay over 95% of all revenue raised by the federal income tax. The average American now works 20 years for the government simply to pay his taxes. Yay! In 1943, the government began withholding taxes on the advance on the advice of Milton Freeman. After the war ended, this method of stealth taxation and tax increases continued. Not until 1964, the top rates lowered down to 77%. In 1992, the um, top rate was lowered to 50%. And by the late 80s, the rate has been lowered to 28%. But rates were raised again to 31% under George Herbert Walker Bush, and again in 1993 to 39.6% under Clinton. George W. Bush apparently hold as an unshakable principle that no American should be taxed more than a third of his income by the federal government. John Kerry, should, should, he, should he become president, appears likely to suggest the rates be raised back to the Clinton level. The income tax lived up to its nature during World War II, devouring American wealth and liberties like a swarm of locusts, where it became the nearly universal tax we know today. In 1940, fewer than 15 million tax returns were filed. Just 10 years later, in 1950, the number would be 53 million. In 1939, income tax raised $1 billion. 16 years later, it would raise to $19 billion. The state had found its most fertile harvest, middle-class and working-class taxpayers. As Chief Justice John Marshall remarked truly, the power to tax involves the power to destroy. Adjusting for inflation in the 81 years between the enactment of the income tax in 1913 to 1994, government spread increased 13,592%. The great critic of the income tax, Frank Trudolvo, wrote, whichever way you turn this amendment, you come with the fact that gives the government a prior lien on all on the, on the property produced by its subjects. The United States government unashamedly proclaims the doctrine of collective wealth, which is the foes, not the take, is a concession. It was a great, great honestly that Frank Trudeau laminate. America is no longer America of the Declaration of Independence. This was originally published in September of 2004. Yes, a little um, history lesson there, folks. Taxing the rich has been going on for a very long time. Right there is self-explanatory. Socialism redistribution of wealth right there. So all the so-called conservatives need to study this as well. Ain't that amazing? This is why you never trust the government, period. And we have to choose our battles, don't get me wrong. We've all been swindled one way or the other, including yours truly. However, you don't dwell you better yourself. And this here 
is void and without force. In one um, congressional hearing, I saw a little clip on C-SPAN. I've got the IRS agent's name. The little con one congressman asked, is income tax voluntary? He said yes. So, if he says yes, if you're a juror of tax evasion, you can say not guilty. Jury nullification. Send a message to the totalitarian establishment. Tyranny comes in all multiple avenues. And government means control of the mind in Latin. It's our heritage to say never trust them, period. Like I said before, without us, they are nothing. That's how you got to contemplate. And that will be it. Thank everyone for listening. Plus, feel free to download and share throughout your social media networks. If you have any questions, comments, or something that's interesting, check out whatever you do, please, in the correspondence to the quorum. For the more, leave the footnotes of these articles on my page. If you want to contact me, go to lookyluckenumbers03 at protemmail.com. If you want to donate, go to paypal.me or cash.app forward slash lookyluckenumber3. If you want to support the, these sites that I addressed today, that'd be great. Good to know. Be a member, donate. These folks are fantastic. I see some great articles, and it has to be promoted. So you guys can do the same. All right. Once again, thank you for your time. Plus, always remember that the maniac resistance helped for the soul and can liberate humanity. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Keep on spreading the love. May your guardian spirits be with you.